Happy Thursday, beautiful people. Good morning. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. This is Love Babs Love Talk. I just got sniffly all of a sudden. You know, I'm drinking this, um, I'm drinking some ginger, some premium fever tree ginger beer. I wanted some gingery kind of vibe. And then I just started sneezing, got all congested. Like, what the hell? You know, I have one of these sensitive uh, immune system. Every little thing triggers it, like everything. Well, good morning. So let me let me let me let me let me start from happiness news. So yesterday uh, we did the uh, the reading of the Frederick Douglass oration, "What to the American Slave Is uh, the Fourth of July." And uh, it was a well-attended event at the Beinecke, which is one of my favorite places to be. I love being at the Beinecke. I just love, I just love it. And then uh, we went to dinner at uh, fancy, fancy-ass Union League, the French restaurant in New Haven, and uh, had a good time. Uh, We had a good turnout yesterday, a good showing, a good reading, very spirited. Uh, and then uh, went out to dinner, left, went home, and uh, got the news that there was a shooting on the train. Now, it wasn't somebody shooting people on the train. There was a fight that broke out. And, you know, people tend to think that the way to settle disputes is to pull their own firearms on each other. Uh, and so uh, a couple of people got injured. One person was uh, in serious condition. So, uh, and then and then they ran off or whatever. They got to catch them because there's cameras all over this damn city. So somebody right now at this very moment is probably already put eyes on them and saw where they ran off to. Because there's, there's cameras everywhere. I mean, they just are. Um, and, and if you don't see the city cameras, then people have cameras on their doors, you know, their doorbells, and, you know, and people unwittingly see things that they don't know they're seeing. So there's, you know what I mean? There's footage of people catching stuff that they don't know that they've caught it. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, these things are just a matter of time. These people, these young people are going to get caught. And it's unfortunate because for that momentary moment, for that moment of foolishness and stupidity, um, you're going to pay a hefty price because now they got to make an example out of you because they cannot have people feeling unsafe in mass transportation. Oh, if we could only make the investments in front of these kinds of things. See, that's leadership. Leadership says, let me anticipate how bad this could go if we don't get a handle on what is happening in our communities. That's leadership. What isn't leadership is, oh, let me, let me try to fix this in the moment with some, with, with some uh, in a way that doesn't, that, that shows voters I'm on top of it. 
you know, when you are trying to be a leader of the moment and not getting in front of things, I just, we're just ill-prepared for how to, how to take care of this city. I, I mean, sure, you can run this city because it runs itself, but to make it a city where it is extraordinary requires leadership, vision, intellect, and, uh, and a commitment uh, to it. That's all I'm saying. And maybe I feel uh, uh, some kind of way because I'm from here. I was born and raised here. And uh, I have skin in the game and had skin in the game. You know, my roots are here. And I'm not suggesting that you have to be from here to love here. But if you're going to be here, be committed to here. Or get out the way and let people who are committed to here be here. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Until we until we're are willing to make the investments long term, no, because because this is what we're talking about. Like this gun problem didn't just show up yesterday on Metro North. You know, this firearm problem didn't just show up. You know, uh, settling disputes by firearms is as old as cowboys and Indians. Do you know what I mean? Like this is not new. And, and everything in our pop culture says, this is how you deal with disputes. So I'm not surprised that people deal with disputes by brandishing a firearm when everything says, that's what you do. And please spare me conversation about, oh, well, you know, what you see on TV is not real and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, yeah, whatever. Whatever, people, whatever, whatever. I'm just saying that uh, pop culture has a lot to do with, uh, particularly when we don't push back on pop culture, particularly when we're not pushing back on narratives out there that says this is how you do it, particularly when there's whole states out there that are legislating in a way uh, that is, uh, uh, no. We have what we have until, until we do something else. And that's the God's honest truth. Until we are ready to change our minds, then we'll just keep having more of the same. Just more of the same. So, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll just let it be. Until people are willing to make different choices about how we want to be in the world. You know, what? Yeah, that be. So anyway, that's all I'm gonna say on it. And everybody's gonna, you know, and you know, and the narrative will be, oh, the, are the trains safe? Are people safe? You know, people are always already feeling some kind of way about violence and crime in the city. I mean, I listen, I, whatever. So. I'll catch up with the shooter. I, I have no doubt. I don't know. Do retired cops really want to come back to walk beats? I, I, 
what is this organized crime? I'm out, but now you're dragging me back in. Unless he's, you know, unless unless you've had conversation, uh, unless you've had conversation with cops, you know, I guess you could. I guess you only say it when you've had conversation. You know, I don't know. Anyway. I'm just having a moment. Girl, why couldn't you have taken a better picture? I have, I have so many opportunities to take better pictures. I'm looking at the, uh, I'm up at, uh, I'm on the New Haven Independent, and Eleanor Pollock, Pollock took pictures. She, I don't like this. I don't care. Whatever. You know what? It's a fine picture. And you know, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always having my, uh, my camera in my phone in my hand, and uh, I have on all reds. So I look, I look cute, and I got on cute sandals. So yeah, I'm all right. I didn't even look up. I just like checking my phone. It was a good, uh, it was a good conversation. At ten fifteen, I've got a uh, Ryan Lindsay coming on. You know, she's a uh, entrepreneur and a pastor and a YDS graduate. So she's coming out and talk about her book. And I, I'm excited because we've been playing this for a minute. So uh, so I'm very excited to uh, uh, it is wonderful to sort of uh, have her on and talk to her. She's a very interesting young woman. You know. And uh, I love uh, talking to young women, particularly young black women who come with the weight of a story and uh, intellect and uh, and a willingness to sort of share uh, because they know it's necessary for the health of community. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that it helps somebody else when they share this, when they share this story. Yeah. Uh, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good. Well, anyway. <laughs> Just uh, going along. Going along, going along, going along. No. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm I'm talking on the radio and reading the uh, reading the uh, the article. Uh, wonderful. It was a uh, uh, wonderful opportunity to sort of uh, read Frederick Douglass's words. Yeah, and. Uh, being a spirit of the moment, it really was uh, rich, 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 rich. So anyway, it's hot today. Drink lots of water. Don't fall out. It's a hot day. Happy birthday, Juanita. Juanita Sunday, today is her birthday. She works for Arts and Ideas, International Festival of Arts and Ideas. She's one of the producers. Uh, today is her birthday, so happy birthday, Juanita. 
Uh, yeah, it's a hot day. So be careful out there. Although I'm enjoying the hot weather, but I know a lot of people aren't. And I believe there are cooling stations open around the city so that people can, uh, you know, uh, cool off and don't fall out in these streets. Because it's hot. It is very, very hot. I was over at uh, Possible Futures Bookstore yesterday. They're selling uh, lemonade, all kinds of good lemonade. So I had some kind of hibiscus elderberry lemonade. It was so good. And I guess, it, you know, on a hot day, a refreshing lemonade is just the thing. So it was very nice. It was very, very nice, very nice. Nice hot day. Very, very nice hot day. So anyway, that's all I'm gonna say about that. And uh, let's see what else is going on. All kinds of stuff. People are having great gatherings. And uh, and I appreciate that. Like I'm appreciating uh, all these gatherings. People are really embracing summer. And even though it might feel like it's a, uh, you know, the weather hasn't been exactly exemplary. Uh, it's still very nice. You know, I know it's been raining. People have been like, oh, it's raining. It's raining. Uh, it is, but uh, it's still nice. <laughs> still nice. I don't mind the rain. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't mind it so much. I don't mind it. We need it. And uh, we'll just go with it. Anyway, uh, it just feels weird that it's Thursday. Like, it feels like this week wasn't a week. And it was a week, but it was a short week because there was a Monday that the holiday wasn't Monday. The holiday was Tuesday. But people took Monday off. Like, I took Monday off. And Tuesday off, but I went in on Monday to the paper. So it feels disjointed. That's the point that I'm making, that the, the, the week feels disconnected. So today's Thursday, tomorrow's Friday, and then we're right back into the weekend. Which probably is not a bad work week, if you tell the truth. Probably not a bad work week. It's probably not a, a, a bad turn of events. Anyway, I don't even know what's going on with Russia or Ukraine or. Oh, I know Russians messing around with the U.S. drones. Everybody's looking to get into a fight. Like everywhere, everybody's looking to get into a fight. What is this? Is it because men, are, is it, we need to get rid of these men? Not get rid of men, like annihilate them, but like sit them down and just women take over and run stuff. Because everywhere I turn, there's a threat of war. Just a threat of war. And I just feel like people, want to just show off their tools of mass destruction. You know, pop them off so that they can show I got a bigger tool than you. That's, that's, man, that's, that's man thinking. That's a man experience. You know, and don't get, don't get me wrong. There's some women who can flex too. But I find that women in leadership are less likely to want to flex like that and find other ways to get to peace rather than 
just marching on somebody. I could be wrong. Maybe history bears me out. I think it does. So, you know, I, I, women of the world, just run, run through these offices and just start taking over. Because I, seriously, I, I'm tired of a man-run world because the threat of violence is always ever-present. You know, it's always ever-present. And I just find that to be unsettling on a lot of levels. It's unsettling. So, yeah. I've got some major decisions to make in the next few days. Not, I mean, not ma major to me, not major to anybody else. You know, I was thinking about what it is I, I want. You know, I, I would, I'm, I'm very clear about what I want in increments, but big picture, well, maybe big picture too. I know what I want, big picture. Uh, and I think I'm moving in the right directions. You know, I still feel like I'm not doing enough of something, and I, but I don't quite know what the something is. And that's really rare for me uh, because I'm very clear about how I direct my steps. Um, but I've been thinking about a few things. Uh, I guess maybe because I was sitting on the porch with um, Stacy on on Sunday, Monday, whatever day it rained. Uh, oh, Tuesday on the Fourth of July, and just talking to her about what she is up against and what she's dealing with just made me think about some things that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Um, and and I, and I don't know why I don't know I don't know why she just conjured up things for me. I guess because sometimes when I talk to people, I could see myself in them, or I could see the old me in them, or I could see a future me in them, and so it always makes me sort of dissect that a little bit. Like, okay, what is this about for me? Like, what, what am I what am I hearing? And and when she says this, why do I feel like this? Like, what is that? Let me get underneath that. But you know, I like to do the excavation work. That's, that's, that's the foundation for um, truth telling in my own life, you know, what is it? And, uh, and I'm always struck by, there are some things that I'm wasting time on. And I never like to say I'm wasting time, but I clearly see there are some areas in my life where I am wasting time that I could be way more, uh, into it and on top of a goal, if I set it as a goal. So that got me thinking about that. And I know this sounds very sort of uh, disconnected because I'm not saying what the thing is. And I, I don't know what the thing is. I think it's a couple of things. I know there's pieces of things and I need to sort of just sew them together and act. But there's some things that I really need to act on. And talking to her on Tuesday, and I've been um, I've been contemplative about you know the conversations that we had on Tuesday, um, and you know some of it was a little unnerving for me, you know to 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 hear, not because it was bad, but because it just made me look at myself, you know. I thought, is this, do I sound like this? Do I, you know, and no shade to her. It just got me thinking about when I say X, what am I saying? And how is that heard? Do you know what I mean? Like how, 
how is what I'm saying being perceived by the person I'm talking to when I'm talking about something that I want to accomplish or I want to do? Does it sound like I'm on track to actually accomplish it or am I just paying lip service? And sometimes lip service is a good thing. You just want to say out loud the thing that you might be afraid of or you want to say out loud the thing that you're hoping for and try to try to and and hopefully the universe will give you some confirmation that yes you can do that well i always think that the universe is always in in confirmation mode <laughs> even when you're being re re redirected even when the answer is no to the moment you, you're always being confirmed in in your in your reach i think i believe this I'm always confronted in my reach. Sometimes the answer is no. And the no is not like, no, what you're reaching for is ridiculous. The no oftentimes is a redirection on how you get to the thing that you want. That's the bigger lesson. It's not just no. And what happens is, and I, and I see this with young people, they accept the no as the no. And if you accept the no as a redirection, then you are able to sort of say, oh, all right, well, this is a no in this particular moment. But if I go to the left or go to the right or jump over or go under, it could be a yes. And that's where I am uh, wondering. Yeah, the, 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 I'm not, I don't think I've gotten a no. Uh, I don't even know if I've asked the questions yet. That's the thing. So, so it got me thinking about that in a, in a real way. Like what, what have I not asked for? Oh, what, what have I not, what am I not asking for? And why aren't I asking for it? And I know I'm not one of these people who think I can't ask for things because I don't deserve them. And then I thought, maybe I'm tired. Am I tired? What do I have to be tired for? I don't work in the coal mine. I don't work in the fields. I don't do any of that. So what am I tired of? And then I started thinking about the totality of my life. And I was thinking about all the relationships, you know, all the, all the bodies <laughs> laid before me. And I was trying to think, are any of those, was any of those things successful? And then I had to think about, well, how am I measuring success? Am I measuring success on longevity? Am I measuring success on quality? Am I measuring success on how I walked away? and how I felt walking away and, and, and how much healing I had to do or repairing I had to do. See, that, you know what I mean? Like, so that's how I, that's how I was processing things because I needed to, I need to get to the heart of this sense of uh, 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 why do I feel like I'm wasting time? You know, why do I feel that way? And it's a, it's a lot to sort of unpack. And you, you know, I, and I do the due diligence because I believe, you know, that I am, uh, I, I know myself better than anybody. And, uh, uh, and I, I don't go to therapy uh, to, to unpack. I know, how, I already know the tools to unpack my stuff. And I don't like to hide from things. I mean, we all hide from things momentarily, right? Some people hide their entire lives. I'm not one of those people. I, I'll hide out for a couple of weeks. But then after a while, I'll just get annoyed and be like, okay, it is time. It is time to get into this. 
And I think I think that's where I am in this moment. Like I'm in this moment of, all right, witch, get to it. <laughs> what? What are you doing? <laughs> and then when I ask the question, I see these little little pieces of confirmation. These little bits of confirmation about that. Little bits of confirmation. And they're the smallest of smallest things. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm, I, okay, you know. And that's only because I know myself, I train myself and I tell the truth to myself that I notice these small little uh, confirmations. These small little confirmations. So it's been, uh, it's been really nice to sort of uh, take the deep dive, you know. You know, I'm just taking a deep dive. Sometimes you have to do that. And then and then I'll get to the heart of it and then I'll I'll back up off it. And I'll I'll get to a place where I'm like, all right, this is what I want to be doing. This is it. This is it. This is it. So so that's 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 the Thursday morning musings. <laughs> that's the Thursday, Thursday morning musing. Because you know, I, I woke up thinking about the police the uh, the shootings at the train station. And I, and I just was thinking about uh, violence and I was thinking about the world and I was thinking about all the things that are in the world that are just crazy. And I know I can't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. Uh, and then I, then I was thinking about all the good things and there's so many good things. There's so many good things. And uh, and and there's a there's not more bad things than good things. There's not more good things than bad things. There's good things and bad things. And how you situate yourself in the world, um, you'll 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 feel more or less on either side, depending on your state of mind. There are people who only see the bad things and experience the bad things. Their whole thing is about, oh, this is happening to me. This is a bad thing. The world is terrible. It's dark. It's gloomy. I don't have any friends. I don't that those there are people who are squarely rooted in the woe is me, there's only bad things. Then there are people who are like, okay, the sun will come out tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, I'm one of those people. I'm always looking for the good. I'm always, I'm a, I'm a rainbow chaser. I'm a silver lining chaser. You know, I, I, because I, I just, because I believe in that stuff. And so as I believe in it, it becomes a part of my life. So whenever I see the good things, good things come my way. I, I only think about, not I only think about, but I'm, I'm, I'm squarely in the good things camp. I rarely think about gloomy things as a, as a personal attachment. I don't, even if I have like a, a, a succession of hits, do you know what I mean? Like one punch after another, like, and I, and there was moments in my life where it was like one thing after another. And I was like, God, I'm on the ropes. I'm, I'm down for the count. <laughs> and you can hear the, you can hear the countdown. 10, nine, eight, seven. Six. You know, like when you when you when you watch a prize fight 
and they go down and somebody starts counting. They either count back from 10 or they count one, two, three, four. And you, you know, you, you got to get up between one and 10. Uh, so I know what it's like to be hit so hard where you hit the, you hit the mat and you, and you can hear the countdown and you're like, I should just stay down here. But you know you can't because you start to think about so many other things that need you, require you, and that you want. And you're like, okay. So by this, by the time they get to the seven, you get your ass up and be like, okay, I'm back in the, I'm back in the ring. <laughs> I'm back in, I'm back. I'm a, I'm a fight, fight back. And I don't always like to use a boxing metaphor because that's a level of violence that I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with on the regular. I don't want to be fighting. That's not my thing. I don't want to be fighting. But Michael Jackson said, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> so, but there are these moments where you have to fight back. There are, there are moments in our life. I don't stay in a steady state of fighting. I know people who do. Everything is a damn fight. Everything is a struggle. Everything is, oh my God, it's a storm. It's a, I mean, everything, everything. I was like, man, get some ray of sunshine, what? <laughs> and we all know people like this, like every moment of every day of their lives is a fight, a struggle, something. I'm not, I don't have that. I, I don't, I'm not like that. Uh, uh, some days, there are days when there are fights. Yes, yes, yes. But the majority of my days are not fights. I'm not, I'm not battling with nothing. You know, I'm not depressed. I'm not unhappy. I'm not lonely. You know, I'm not hungry. You know, uh, I'm not any of those kinds of things, you know. But, and then, but then there are moments when there are longings for deep things, you know. And I just take myself through the paces. Like I said earlier, I just go the paces you know and i get to the heart of it and i i really get to the heart of it i don't i don't mess around with my mental health i don't i don't linger in a place of sadness and malaise i don't because that'll get you in trouble i i remember being that way i you know get, getting myself worked up to the point where you start talking yourself into suicide and uh and, and that's a very real thing because this the lower you start to sink the darker it gets and then you to the point where you are so low that you can't see the light of day. Do you know what I mean? And you don't even know how to, it's like falling backwards and you have nothing to break your fall. You know, um, I know what that feeling is like. I know I've been in that space, that head space. And it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. So you just think, you know, there's no point in me being here. And, and then it physically hurts. The, 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 mental, the mental desperation manifests itself into physical pain in your body when you are that sad and depressed. It just hurts. And, it, and it's like a weight on you. And you just can't, you know, you, you, you stop living. You stop, you just stop. You know, even if you're going through the motions, you know, you go through the motions of, because if you have a routine, you just go through the motions. You go through the motions and you just stop living, but you are still moving and you're still breathing, but you stop living because the pain and the weight of whatever it is is so great. 
It's greater than your ability to lift yourself up out of it. So you think. So you think. And so until you get that little bit of light that helps you see that you're in a space that you don't want to be in, till you get that spark of light. And some people don't get the spark of light or they get the spark of light too late, you know, or they think that the, the spark of light that they're seeing is not for them. Do you know what I mean? The spark of light is not for them. And I've seen that too, you know. And I know everybody that I know personally that has committed suicide has found themselves in that dark space. And I've had a lot of friends and loved ones uh, commit, die by suicide. Way more than I care to tell people. I've, I've known too many people close to me, close to me, uh, uh, die by suicide. And, and, uh, and, I, and, and, <laughs> and I, used to, I used to say they beat me to it. They, they, they beat me to it. And sometimes that would be enough to jar me out of whatever the mess I was walking around. You know, not living, just going through the motion. I know what that's like to just just go just go through the day without uh, happiness and joy and and barely breathing, barely breathing, you know, because you're so tense. You're just like, you know, you just you find yourself catching your holding your breath for long periods of time because the pain is so great and the mental weight is so great, and you just like and you just know. And this is what happens when you. When, when, when you don't have a support system around you, when you don't have friends who can dig you out of stuff, you know, when you get in the place of talking to them and, and they can detect when something is not right and they can give you words of encouragement. And, and words of encouragement are important. They really are important. Words of encouragement are like uh, life rafts. They're like life rafts. That's why, you know, it pays to be kind to people um, when you can, because you don't know. You could be that angel unaware to somebody who was in need. You just don't know. And I, I'm going to tell you, along my path, I've had people, uh, when I was walking and not living, holding my breath, trying to not breathing. <laughs> and those who, those who have suffered depression know exactly what the hell I'm talking about. When you've been so down and out that you're not breathing, but you are very much alive, but you're not breathing. I know what it's like when somebody says something encouraging to me and I, and I knew right then and there that was God speaking. I knew in that moment and I was like, and sometimes you can hear the voice of God and, and still, I, I don't care, God. <laughs> I don't care. You can talk to me all you want. I'm, I'm sad and I'm depressed and this hurts and blah, blah, blah. I, I know. I've been down this road <laughs> and God's like, okay, okay, girl. I done, I sent one thing. I'm going to have to send something else. <laughs> uh, let me, let me keep sending stuff until, until you catch on that I'm here for you. And then, and then, then something happens for me anyway. And, and it happens because I notice it because there's a part of me that will that is still seeking to get up out of whatever it is. There's still a part of me that is connected to the world and wants to be in it, you know? So all is not lost. And so I, I, I challenge people who right now 
who are sitting and so depressed and are going through the motion, right? Walking through your life and not living your life, walking through it, holding your breath, not breathing, tense, tense, so much tension in your body that you're like a rubber band. That try to notice, be, be deliberate in noticing where the light is. Just, just, just be deliberate, deliberate and notice where the light is. There's some light. There's some light. And, 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 you know, before you make the ultimate decision, you know, give it, give it one more. What did Maya Angelou say? Give love one more try. Just, just give it one more try. Just give love one more try. That, that is my saving grace. Give love one more try. You know, and then, and then when you get up out of that hole, go give what you need. Go give what you need. You, you, had a, you had a terrible ass mother, then go give yourself a good mother. You be your own good mother. Or get around some, some folks who, who, who could mother you. That's all right to do that. You know, it's all right to do that. You had a terrible ass father. Don't, don't, don't pick a man. Don't pick somebody where you are working out that relationship with your father through that person. Don't do that. Notice that. Pay attention to that. So that you are not reliving that trauma, that hurt, that harm, that punishment, whatever that is. Because this is what people do. You, you, you pick what is familiar to you, even though on surface it might not even seem like that. But we all do it. And it's a hard habit to break. So you've got to know yourself. And you've got to, you've got to uh, uh, pay attention to, to those kinds of things. And I, I tell you, and sometimes we pick our mothers and sometimes we pick our fathers and sometimes we pick a combination of both because there's unresolved issues in those relationships. And so in, our, in ourselves, we go, we, go, we go find that so that we can try to fix it or try to like be different in the same situation. I just want to be different in the same situation. No, you can't. You're going to be the same. <laughs> You're going to be the same. And that person is going to be the same. That person is going to be your father, going to be your mother, whoever, whatever the, whoever the trauma points were in your life, you just pick the same people and you're going to keep playing out these relationships. So if you're needy, you're going to pick out people who are never going to satisfy you, who are never going to hold you uh, as the one. You know, if you're needy and, and you just want, you're desperate, you're going to pick people who feed that, who are never going to give you satisfaction, you know. If, if, if you, 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 sometimes people pick people with so much drama, so much, because people find that exciting. Oh, that brings a sense of excitement. No, that's not love or excitement. That's just trauma. That's just trauma acting out. But you got to get to a place where you can figure that out. You got to figure that out. Why, why am I drawn to this kind of person? What is it in me that's saying, I, I want this? You know, why am I in this bad relationship? Why am I stuck in this? And I'm spending so much time trying to fix it, fix it, fix it. Well, go look at your childhood. Go look and see where somebody let you down or somebody harmed you or you grew up in a house of arguing. You grew up in a house with, you know, your, your, your mama doing stuff and your father doing stuff. And go, go look and see where that is. Or maybe you was a caregiver. You did all the caregiving. You did all the caregiving as a child. And here you are as an adult continuing to be the caregiver. 
and having your not having your needs met. I, listen, I've done this. I have tell you something. I have peeled back so many layers in my life to understand these things. And I could tell you every relationship, what it was that gave me what it gave me and why I picked it. Every last one of them, every last one of them, you know. So now I'm at the point where I, I, ah, <laughs> and it's not even that, I, I'm not even not open to another relationship or whatever. I'm, I'm not even that. I, I'm, I'm still with the, with the Course in Miracles that says, you know, you, you don't need to seek for love. Your, your role is to remove the barriers to love. That's all, that's what I'm about, moving whatever the barriers is, you know, so, but I, I'm very, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, uh, discerning about how, who and how I spend my time. Uh, you know, when I was a young woman, I, I'd spend time with anybody who would smile at me, ask me out or whatever. I'd think, oh, 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 this is flattering. Not so much. <laughs> now I'm not flattered by that. Like, I'm not flattered. Thank you. You know, and then I do, I figure out if I want to spend time or get to know whatever. I do that kind of work. And I, I get asked out all the time by people who I, I know I'm not, they're not worthy of me. They're just not. And I don't, I don't mean that unkindly. I don't mean that because I think I'm better. I just know you could tell how people step to you and the foolishness that they come with. Mm -mm. I don't play games and I don't accept. And some people will try you. They'll ask you out and then they'll play these games. I don't, I don't do any of that. Nope. I I, I, first of all, I don't got the energy. <laughs> and I, and I like myself too much. So I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. When I was a young woman, I did all the things that stupid young women do. I did all the things that stupid young women do. But now I'm an old lady. I don't, I don't play them kind of games. I don't do that kind of stuff. You cannot sell me foolishness. You know, and it doesn't mean I don't have fun. It doesn't mean I don't have romance. It doesn't mean any of that. I have great romance. I'm a very romantic person. I live a very romantic life. I have a good time. I have a good time with my friends. I have a good time with people who are not my friends. You know, I have a good time. You know. That's it. So I, I'm just saying that, you know, pick a camp, <laughs> you know, the dark side or the light side. And, and I don't mean that in a race kind of way. I mean, in a, who do you want to be? What side, what, what do you want for yourself? Do you want happiness? Happiness is not unattainable. It's not unattainable. It's not. You just have to choose it. And, and, and happiness is just choices. <laughs> happiness is just choices. A better life is just choices. No matter the situation that you're in, no matter where you are, happiness is just choices. You know, and, and sometimes we don't like the choices. You know, sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes we drag our feet about, about it. But this is what I know. Life is very, very short. And we, we all intellectually and intuitively know this. We don't act accordingly. We know life is short because we go to funerals all the damn time. People in our family die. We, all of us know personal, have personal relationships with death. We know people, parents, uncles, aunts, nieces, children. We know people. 
friends, coworkers. We all have an intimate relationship with death, but we all act as though we have, uh, and, and we do. Here's the, here's, the, here's the great mystery of life for me. We have all the time in the world, but we have so little time left. That's the God's honest truth. We have so much time in the world, but so little time left. And, and, and if you can balance, if you could squeeze in between those sentiments, then you could live a very full life that has minor regrets, lots of joy, happiness, peace, and, and love. Love, you know, it's, it's love. So, so I say all that to say, you know, to, 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 to the folks that I know who are struggling in their own minds, in their own hearts and minds, to, to, my, to, my, to the people that I know who are in situations that they want to get out of and they feel like they can't because they feel trapped. And I know what it is to feel trapped. I'm telling you, I know what it feels, what it means to feel trapped. Um, to, to, the, to, the, to the people who think they're never going to fall in love, you know, to the, to the, to the folks out there who, who think they're in these dead ass in jobs and you know, they just hate it every day and they feel like they're only working to pay bills and they feel, you know, uh, like they're the workhorse or the, the muse of the family or the muse of their neighborhood or the muse, you know, they just feel like muse in their relationship, you know, to all those people just make some different choices. And it's just, you know what it starts with? Pick up a journal and say, I want. And, and there's no shame in saying I want. We got this whole, we got it all twisted about saying, you know, about what selfish is and selfless is. It's not selfish to say I want. Start with I want, because I'm, I'm convinced that people don't believe that what they want they deserve, or they don't even deserve to say I want. You know, that somehow or other, that goes against God. And, and I, you know, I always remind people now I'm no biblical theologian scholar, but I do know this. It says somewhere in that Bible, come boldly before God and ask. So if you believe in any part of the Bible, that's the part you ought to believe. Come, come and ask boldly. <laughs> and you know what boldly means? Show up, baby, and say, I want. And then figure out a path to the I want. And the path is not some ridiculous hard thing. It's the, the path is just make a decision. That's the first step I want. Well, what do you want? Well, <laughs> this, 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 you know. And, and be clear about what you want. Not, not I want because I want to run from. Not I want because I'm hiding from. Not I want because I think this might be better for me. But genuinely, what do you want? And, and it could just, it really ought to be just unique to you. Yeah, and listen, we all want world peace. We all want to feed the hungry. We all want to clothe the naked. We all want that. Well, at least most people do. I don't think anybody was like, let them be naked, let them be hungry. Although in the political climate that we live in, that, that seems to be the case. <laughs> If you if you look at if you look at politics, you'd swear to God that they want you to be hungry, naked, and and, and afraid. <laughs> so, but on a personal level, on a very personal level, just go boldly and ask. Just go boldly and ask. Get get a journal or a piece of I don't, even if you can't afford a journal, 
If you need a journal, call me. Somebody come call me. I'll get you a damn journal. I'll get you a journal. I'll give you a, listen, I got a gazillion journals. I'll buy you a new journal. And then you start every day, I want. And then you write down, I want. And then, then you got to say, all right, what am I willing to do? What am I willing? Like, don't do stupid stuff like I want to rob a bank. I'm not entertaining that kind of foolishness. But real stuff, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to lose 50 pounds. I want to be the love of my life. I want to read this book. I want to buy a house. I want, and so it doesn't matter what the want is. The, the, all the steps are the same. Got make some just got make some choices. You got move in the direction, you know. And and let me tell you something. All 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 ask have some consequence. All wants have consequence. Just know that part. You know, not not anything that you can't do, but what are you willing to do? Sometimes when you make the ask that I want to I want to elevate my situation, sometimes that means you got to give up the folks you're rolling with. That's number one. But if you're not willing to give up the folks that you're rocking with, then, then you're not willing to go to step two. You know, some folks arrive with you. Sometimes you could be in a circle of people and once you rise, they rise too. And they're like, Ooh, we all rising. But sometimes you could rise and the other people are like, like a balloon. They got a string on you. Like, oh no, you can't leave us. Uh-uh, who do you think you are? You can't, who you think you better than us? See, ah, ha ha ha. Because if you got friends who ain't blowing wind in your sails, but you got friends who putting weight in the basket, hmm, make a decision comes down to decision. So I'm gonna take a break. I'm coming back with uh, Ryan Lindsay. I can't wait to talk to her about her book, all the wonderful things. And uh, I look forward to seeing her. So listen, anything I have to say, y'all can use it, you can take it, internalize it, throw it out, say Babs ain't Jack. You know what I mean? You could just say it like Babs, shut up. Or you can say, you know what? That old lady is kind of wise. I'll take it. I take it. I'll be back. <laughs> you got the thing that I want. It's the way that you move it and don't. Don't you stop what you Hi, do. This is Basketball Biden from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLB 103.5 FM. Streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. And this beautiful woman everywhere. I gotta get you alone. find a place we can go. And I don't care no Cause I gotta get you close to me. I gotta get you alone. find a place we can go.
Scott Burrell, born right here in New Haven. I won an NBA championship with the Chicago Bulls, so I know a great defense is a game changer. That's why I support New Haven's Health Department's Take a Shot campaign to help defend teens against meningitis. Whatever your post-high school life is, take a shot now and help keep yourself, your friends, and your family safe and healthy. For more information, visit nhbbax.org. with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhbvax.org.
Oh, good morning, beautiful people. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm delighted this morning because I get to have my soror, Ryan Lindsay Arendelle. Um, she's an Emmy Award winning uh, journalist. She's a preacher and entrepreneur. Uh, she is also serving as the acting senior pastor at uh, Spring Glen UCC in Hamden. She just graduated from YDS, but she's going to be with us for another year because she's picking up some more degrees. <laughs> and she has a she has an amazing book out which i meant to grab in my room and i didn't grab I, damn it <laughs> but anyway she's gonna be here she, she's here she's gonna talk to us about uh why the book a little bit about her life so we get to know something about her and uh and her call to ministry which is uh her centered passion at the moment so good morning sister Good morning, Bass. How you doing? I'm so glad you could be here with me. Thank you for having me. I feel honored. I'm honored. So how are you? How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm starting this early workout thing. So <laughs> made it to the gym, I think by 630. So it feels, <laughs> I'm like, all right, praise God for longer days because we can slide in a little nap after a while. But I'm feeling hi, good. Hi. I used to be an early morning gym rat back in the day. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I can go back to that. So, so where are you from, Lindsay? I am from Washington, D.C. Um, I'm an uptown shorty, so Northwest D.C. Um, my mother's side is from D.C., so that's always been home for me. Uh, we did move around a bit when I was younger. So I lived in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico, like in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. And then we did a brief stint in Raleigh, North Carolina, which my paternal grandfather was there. And then when my parents got um, separated and divorced, we moved back to the DMV um, in 2001. So actually my 11th grade or, or 11th day or 10th day of, of fifth grade was September 11th, which was pretty wild. So wow. quite a time that, yeah. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Okay, so... So, so you went to high school in D in DC, technically Montgomery County. <laughs> okay, <laughs> don't all right. Send for, don't send for me. No, um, I, we my brother and I were the first generation not to go to DC public schools on my mom's side, and I was salty about that because I really wanted to. I mean, I, I of course DC is mine to claim, but not having that DC public schools experience, I wish I could have. Um, but yeah, we so just outside of DC in Silver Spring, Maryland, is where I went okay. to high school. Mm -hmm. And where'd you go to undergrad? Undergrad, I did at Northwestern. Um, I studied uh, broadcast journalism and African-American studies. So that was my first time in the Midwest. Um, and that is where I pledged Delta. Shout out to the Theta Alpha chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you always knew you wanted to be in journalism. Like, what was it about? Because you, you, you're a journalist. That's right. <laughs> okay. And so how old were you wanted to be a journalist? Like, how did you come to journalism? Yeah, when I was little, I was always writing, um, whether it was poetry or short stories. Um, I was always curious, asking a lot of questions, um, wanting to just know about people and things and the world and how people thought um, their own stories. And then in high school, what, what had happened was, um, I was in Spanish. I had taken 
three, four years. I took four years of French from sixth grade through ninth grade. And then I was like, okay, uh, my, my French teacher was flip-flopping and she was teaching the low, like the lower levels instead of the higher levels. So I was like, okay, I don't want to take French with anybody else. I was like, I'm done. So I said, oh, I'll take Spanish. And God bless our classroom because I feel like it really took like two weeks to get from two weeks to learn the alphabet because we were going from like Ebonics to English to Spanish. (laughs) And my Spanish teacher was Jamaican, very fluent, but not a good teacher. So I was just like, I'm wasting time in here. So I switched into journalism my sophomore year of high school. And that was kind of it. DC had some incredible programs. There was one that I did for two years called the Urban Journalism Workshop. And so the first year I did TV. So we were on the campus of American University, just making new stories. Um, When the museum, rest in peace, when the museum first opened up, we got in the studio and did our broadcast there for our final project. And the following year I did radio and had also rest in peace um, Tashima Walker, who was the executive producer of Tell Me More with Michelle Martin. And so she would always be in my ass about being late. <laughs> she is, that was a strong black woman who didn't take no stuff. Um, but that was just a really incredible experience to be working with NPR journalists and editors and people who just had this very solid experience. So that shaped that shaped a lot. Um, my experiences a lot and gave me really a, a strong foundation. But also my, my high school was a um, fine arts and humanities high school. So we had a really solid broadcast TV studio. I wrote for the paper my junior uh, in senior year. So that foundation and that hunger for storytelling was there pretty early. Um, and then didn't actually know a lot about Northwestern. My mom put that on my radar and really enjoyed the trip out there. Um, Madill just had a lot to offer. Um, and so I just, I just, and they had really solid financial aid. So that's where I ended up. Mm-hmm. And so, so you get your degree in communications, journalism, what is it in? Uh, I have a bachelor's in journalism and I have a master's in journalism as well. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you graduate, you graduate and you go work for. So it was a, it was a, I don't know. I don't know if you, circuitous is not probably not the right word. My family has this running joke of be like, Ryan would just throw a big word in a sentence and hope that it lands. <laughs> I'm always like, I used to my grandpa got me a little, one of those little um, dictionaries. Like you pun, you know, you type in the word a digital dictionary. So I had that. And before that, I had a little pocket dictionary. So I would just, as I was reading, I'd come across words, I would just make lists. And then eventually I'll look them up or sometimes not. So, um, but so I graduated in 2013 and my grandfather was sick. Um, he had a late stage diagnosis of um, cancer. And so I was like, you know, journalism will be there. And so I just came home and I was working at J Crew on 9th and F in DC um, downtown and, or Chinatown, I guess. Um, and then that was around the time it was the 50 anniversary of the March on Washington, um, for jobs and justice. So my church at the time, um, was participating and, you know, had a, a group growing. And so I made this sign with, uh, it said Emmett, Emmett and Amadou and Sean and Oscar and Trayvon more than just, I think black faces and tragic spaces. So a lot of a lot of people would just stop me and ask to take a picture of the sign. And I had the, the, in the empress in with dots on the bottom of the sign. Um, so I just kind of, I remember I then wrote those names on a post-it note and just kind of rode around in my car with it until I finally was like, I think I'm going to make this a shirt. And so I had a homie who 
is he's an entrepreneur. He's like a renaissance man, I'd say. He has his hands in a lot of different things in DC. And I approached him and was like, all right, can you like sponsor these, you know, first hundred shirts? So we we made a deal and I sold them at this music festival that's called Broccoli City Fest in 2014 in April. So I think I sold through like 50 of those first 100 shirts the first day and then put the rest up online. Um, so that kind of, that the brand was called Gloss Rags, the shirts was called the In Counting um, Collection. And then I had this like alter ego that I fashioned for myself that started with the nickname, which was Randy Gloss, um, that some friends in Brooklyn gave me. And so I was like being Randy real heavy for a few years. Um, and then I, around, man, the list, the list just kept getting longer. Um, and I eventually the, like the stopped. List, the list for names on the shirt. Yeah, we were memorializing. Yeah. So the first six we had Emmett, Amadou, Sean, Oscar, Trayvon, Jordan, and um, Mike and well, yeah, Emmett, Amadou, Sean. That's right. And then we added Mike Brown and Ezel Ford and Eric Garner this summer by August of 2014. So we started in April of that year and then added more names. And in that same August, we rolled out a list of women's names and women, Black women and girls. And it just kept, it just kept growing. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, like how much of a toll that I was taking on me and my mental health. Um, but I just kept at it. And then I remember by the time Freddie Gray was murdered, which was 2015 or 16, the list was at the bottom of the shirt. There were like 17 names. So then when Alton and Philando were murdered, their names had to go in the back. And so, um, the top of 2016, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression because of the business. And I didn't necessarily feel like my life was at a standstill, but I think it felt like I, I was overwhelmed with something that I had created um, and didn't really know what to do about it because it had brought me a level of kind of success and visibility that I wasn't anticipating. But meanwhile, I was like working at my high school as an in-school suspension coordinator and then one of my homegirls, my profite, um, Naima, she was really, for two years, she had been like, come out, come check out Berkeley, come check out Berkeley. And I was like, mm, I don't want to go to grad school. Uh, I don't want to take the GRE. And she's like, Berkeley doesn't have the GRE. <laughs> so not to the SAT three times. So I was just like, so I go out, get flewed out and really loved it and applied. And it was wild. It was like, I, had, I was coming back from New York and I was sitting down with, um, Akai Gurley's cousin, he was a young man who was fatally shot by um, a Chinese police officer, Peter Liang, in the stairwell of the pink houses in New York. And she had reached out and was had thanked me because she said a lot of people kind of glaze over my cousin. He's not one of the bigger names. So we met up in New York and talked for a while. And I missed my bus back to D.C. So I was coming late. And then I just like, I remember calling out of work. <laughs> and then I'm like in bed. I'm like, and when I woke up, when I wake up, it smells like I've had like six packs of cigarettes. So I'm like, hello? I'm like, who's calling me? And so that was like my acceptance call for Berkeley was like that morning that I had just got back from New York and called out. And I was like, oh, wow. So then I started school, I guess, August of 2016, graduated May of 2018, and then moved to um, Connecticut to for a two-year fellowship where I was working with the NPR member station co covering exclusively guns. It was called Guns and America. 
So I was down in Hartford um, doing that. And so that's kind of like, there's so many like little details and little stories along the way, but that's kind of a semi-quick synopsis. Okay. So, so I get the journalism part. Mm-hmm. I get the entrepreneurial part. So where does ministry come into all of this? Yes, ministry um, maybe had been lurking. I found this sheet of paper that I'll, I'm going to text it to you after this so you can have a look, but it had two columns and it said, I want to be, and I want to be. And there were a mix of things like, you know, adjectives, verbs, nouns, like safe, secure, strong. Then it was like Jamaican, <laughs> thick, homecoming queen, a champion <laughs> eater, shredding the slopes, an Olympic gold medals. Like there's all these things on this, on, the, on this list. And then right in the middle, right dead center, it said a preacher. And I was like, Okay, clearly 15 or 16 year old me knew something that I didn't that, you know, that I either forgot about maybe my 20s or maybe it was just like having to take this really. I wouldn't necessarily I mean, bumpy at times, but just this very interesting journey to my calling. Um, But it was was difficult. The shift was unanticipated because I thought that I was going to be a journalist for the rest of my life. I got a master's so I could teach on the collegiate level because there were it was beautiful seeing black faculty in journalism at Northwestern. Um, that made a huge difference and inspired me to want to, you know, be able to be that professor and that journalist for not just black, I mean, black students, of course, but also just to show other folk, like we're out here just as much as y'all are. Um, and our stories are powerful and the ways that we tell stories are powerful. But um, there is a police shooting in Weathersfield, uh, a young man, Puerto Rican teenager by the name of Anthony Jose Vega Cruz, his nickname was Chulo, was fatally shot by a Haitian American police officer who had a a very troubled kind of history um, in the sense that he, we, you know, got his records. And when he was a part of the Manchester police force in Connecticut, um, his supervisor, one of his supervisors said, "I'm, I'm concerned that he will either harm himself or harm somebody and so somehow he got rehired in Weathersfield and ended up killing this teenager. And so then became this like really wild situation where, you know, the good, good folks in my job, their white allyship and white progressiveness was really put to the test because I was the only black reporter on staff, um, only black person in the newsroom at that time. And this was um, 20, I think it was 2019. and. I at a I, I I spoke briefly about police accountability and transparency at a community forum that was about police accountability and transparency. And all of a sudden everything changed. And I just felt so silenced and the level of comfort that I felt at my job just evaporated so quickly. And I was, it was a terrible feeling to be made to feel like I'm a problem. Um and so then I just remember like just crying so many like days and nights after work before and after work and asking God if I did something wrong and God said, no. And he said, I got you. And so then it was around that time that I visited um, Yale Divinity School and then decided to apply and got in and just, you know, held that acceptance close to my chest for a while um, and eventually told my boss because you know how the fiscal year works. I was like, it's a grant funded position. So if y'all want to 
keep me, then they're going to try and find money to keep me um, after the grant funding ended. But I was like, I don't want them to do that work while I know that I'm leaving um, journalism. So that was a, it was a difficult time for a lot of reasons. It was a difficult adjustment because I had just gotten a master's. <laughs> I was like, we're doing more school, God. And I really didn't know much about divinity school, to be quite honest, or seminary. Um, so, but I just said, okay, if this is what you're calling me to do, I'll go. So, so when did you, what did you win the Emmy for? We won the Emmy for a, a documentary about the shooting about, okay. Um, but I felt very jaded by that because I, it felt like, honestly, like in the, in the way that is it Zora Neale Hurston who says that black women are the mules of the, of the world or of the earth. Um, mm-hmm. that I really, you know, the, the police officer that fairly shot the teenager was black and I set up the interviews with his lawyer, with his high school football coach, his Sunday school teacher, his pastor, and did not get to see the documentary until two or three days before the public did, didn't, wasn't allowed to have any input in the, I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, crafting of the narrative is not quite the best language only because journalism pretends to be, you know, non, non-biased, but, you know, I, I didn't have any say in how the documentary turned out. And that was very hurtful for a lot of different reasons. Um, because I know it couldn't have happened without my work to broker these relationships, develop some level of trust to allow, you know, these folks to, to sit down with us, um, especially in such a vulnerable set of circumstances um so that was really hurtful but yeah that's that's what we won an emmy for um i also got an award from the connecticut society of professional journalists for a series i did on a shooting um involving three uh well two teenagers two black boys from hartford and then um a 24 year old so i got a couple (laughs) couple of awards so so you find yourself at yds a journalist a newly mm-hmm. mid, fresh out, just st- still in the journalistic world, and you're thrown into YDS, which is a whole other world that you didn't know anything about. What was that like? It was wild because, for a lot of different reasons, one of them is that we were online entirely. So I go from having my like living room be my newsroom during the pandemic, during lockdown, to then it being my classroom, <laughs> and just sitting on Zoom in intro to theology or black theology or pastoral care, which is such a strange learning environment. Um, and I felt like, I definitely felt in, in intro to theology in particular, I felt like a fish, a fish out of water. Cause I was like, I don't know who Athanasius is or what's the other A, I forget his name. The people that they, he's, he's, he is black. He's North African. I forget his name, some theologian. and you know, it shows you how much I retained from that class. Um, but it was wild. But then I also felt like knowing my brain, I was like, I'm going to take the good thing about YDS is that they don't have like a class sequence, really. It's not like you have to take this class your first year and then this year, second, that year, third. You can kind of choose your own adventure to an extent. And so I was like, if I'm going to take these classes, I'm going to take what is going to keep my interest. So I took Black theology with Dr. Every Marshall Terman. I took, um, Black preaching with uh, Dr. Danielle McRae. And then pastoral care was decent and it was helpful. Um, 
but it was it was just interesting I was just like what's going on (laughs) and I think about I just moved to campus in August for my third year and I was like how was I writing papers alone in my home like by myself and I think because when I was here this year I was just like you know you see people in the library or I don't really go to the library, but, you know, people around campus writing, working, laboring together. And I was like, I was doing this solo. Like, that's crazy to me. <laughs> but so, here we are. With it. So, so, so part of your YDS experiences calls you to, uh, to, to be in somebody's church. And, uh, and right now you are the uh, acting senior pastor, pastor at Spring Glen UCC, which I'm a UCC. I, I've come to hear you preach and you are a very fine preacher. So talk about, about talk a little bit about, because you're not UCC, you're, you're, uh, you're roots. I'm NBC. <laughs> Pardon? Progressive National Baptist. Oh, I didn't even know there was such a thing. So once upon a oh, time. Are you, are you created that? You creating that? Like you are sh- sh- shepherding people to that? Because I've never heard of progressive and Baptist in the same sentence. Yeah, I need to get my dates right. But basically what had happened was there was National Baptist. And then even though how we're taught history is such that we're taught to believe where the narrative is that the Black church was always on board with the civil rights movement, that it was the hub of organizing um, in the revolution at the time. But really there was a lot of tension um, Mm -hmm. because there were some Black folks who just felt like there was too much to risk, too much on the line for them to really be fully involved because there was violence, even with, um, you know, not, or what is it called? I guess nonviolent act- activism, um, yeah. the marching, things like that, where they were not physically engaging with, um, they were just protesting. There was not any interaction with, with the, with police or, or clan or anything like that. They were really being attacked. So there was a group of, clergy and church folk who said we're down with king and his brand of activism and then there was another group that were like we're not down and so when they split nbc was not down and progressive pnbc was down with king and the civil rights movement and so that's how that came about but it was a big deal um it was a big it was a big deal at the time when it happened so i want to say it was maybe the early 70s i need to look that up but so that's what I'm, I'm a part of PNBC, but this also was, God literally was like here <laughs> with, with Spring Glen because I wasn't, I was trying to, I was like, I need you to stop ducking, dodging, like trying to run back to these things you used to do. Like I used to be a camp counselor, so I had applied and used to work in hospitality. I applied to like work for the Yale Young Global Scholars Program as like a res uh, life manager for the summer's like eight weeks. I was like, yeah, it'll get me through the summer. Cool, cool, cool. I was like, here's a church. <laughs> <laughs> what and so I just I did not apply for this job like I really I had an interview of course you know sent my materials over and then it was pretty much a done deal so I was like Lord I guess you did answer my prayers because <laughs> you did hear that I, that I wanted to preach regularly <laughs> um but it's been it's been a solid experience um learning a lot it's a lot to actively be in transition while like in front of people like I'm preaching about it this Sunday but you know Saul didn't have the luxury of transforming in private like when he became Paul everyone was like wasn't that the dude that was just like running after trying to murder Christians yesterday (laughs) and then all of a sudden he's just this new name you know 
he's riding for Christ. And I was just like, so I kind of feel that in a sense, because I know there's this deep internal transition that's or transformation that's happening while I'm also every Sunday in front of a white congregation <laughs> as a 32 year old black woman who also has a different denominational and like spiritual formation. So it's been, it's been interesting, but the people, the people at the church are, are sweet and earnest. Um, and just, you know, I think wanting to, I, they're appreciative um, of a new voice in the space and kind of a new way of doing things. And there's also- I would the say so. That, yeah, there's also a safety that they're like, she only here till Labor Day. So. <laughs> so, well, I've heard you preach. I think you're amazing. I, I, I've heard from people in the church and they adore you. They think you are an incredible young woman and they love uh, your message and they love the way that you bring the word to them. So, um, so you got that. And then if that's not enough, <laughs> that's not enough, you have a book. It, which is in its uh, editing, edited stages, right? Uh, and you had a whole talk at Possible Futures Bookstore here in New Haven uh, about the, the journey of this book and what it has meant to you. So I, I want you, because we, we've got about, a, I don't know, like less than 10 minutes. I want to talk about this book and, and, and what compelled you to write it. Did you always know you wanted to write this book? Uh, how did it show up for you? That was also a, so I was re really kind of living like a dual life. Like while I was at um, Berkeley, I really didn't talk about Randy. Like my whole social media was Randy Gloss, but I just didn't, I was like, no, I don't have an Instagram. If somebody asked me, like I had a reporter for when I was on Twitter, but I got reached, um, someone reached out and was like, do you want to, we want you to do a TED talk, um, TEDx Mid-Atlantic back in DC. So I was like, okay. And so I thought about this, the the theme of TED, TED was superpower. So I was like, okay, I think my superpower is empathy. And so I started talking about the empathy that I developed just being immersed in this world of black death and black trauma because of gloss rags. But then I was like, Oh, I had a, developed a new level of empathy for women and, and birthing folk who chose, who choose abortion or who have abortion abortions. Um, because I had, because I had one. So I was pregnant with twins when I was out in the Bay, I had a abortion on my third day of grad school at Berkeley. It was a Wednesday. August 31st, 2016. And that just shifted everything for me. So, so yeah. So then I'm on this stage of a year and some change later doing this Ted talk that weaves together both narratives of both, you know, losing, losing a child uh, because of white supremacy, but then also choosing to forfeit having children. If, if you can, if I can phrase it like that. Um, and then afterwards, there were just so many women who came up to me and were like, thank you. Um, that was me five years ago. That was me 10 years ago. Some of the women were encouraging me that you're still, you know, you're going to be, be able to become a mom again if you want, you know, when time is right. So I had, that was the beginning. That was October 2017 when I was like, okay, like, God was like, yeah, we need a book. And I was like, and then I've always written to process. So I just had poems everywhere, poems and notebooks on a piece of paper on my phone. A lot of times when I couldn't sleep, just especially in the first like year or so after having the abortion, I just would write or poems would come to me, you know, in the middle of the night. And so then I just started um, putting this book together and I applied for a writer, a 
writer's residency, I think it was the summer of 2018, didn't get it, but it was still worthwhile because it made me put all, collect all my poems and see, okay, I got about, you know, 30 or however many it was at the time. And then I don't remember when I started where the idea came from to include some of my journal entries. Um, but I do remember my friend, Adrian, he's an artist and amazing photographer being like, yeah, you should just cut up your journal. And I was like, that is blasphemous. I would never. <laughs> I and know. Now, every, time, every time you tell that story, I get chills. I'm like, oh God, I, I don't even know if I could do that. <laughs> yeah, I felt, I felt. And then I was like, one day I was just like, let's go. Like I'm with it. And so, yeah, I, I cut up my journals, um, and my journal and scanned um, different entries from that 2016 to 2017 period and did these redactions by hand. And so that gives a new dimension to the book as well, apart from the poetry and prose. So the long answer is no, I didn't know I was going to write a book. I never wanted to, I never imagined myself, one, having an abortion and two, writing a book about my abortion <laughs> um, and other things. <laughs> so, yeah. And when was it, when was it, when are you expecting the release of the book? I want to say August at the latest. I, the challenge with self-publishing is that there's just, it's really falls on you to get it across the finish line. So there's just, I'm, I've been done writing for some time now. It's really just some formatting issues that I'm working through, but that will soon be resolved so it can be out in the world um, because it's, it's time. It's really time. Mm -hmm. So as we, we wrap up our wonderful conversation, but we always have wonderful conversations because you've been on the porch and I've seen you around and we've been <laughs> at events. And so I'm getting to know you very well. So what does what is it that uh, Ryan wants? What is the what is the biggest dream for yourself? Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind is family. I want a family. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to have twins again. Um, I want to have a really loving husband, <laughs> and <laughs> and I also want to I want to be able to help people heal. I think that this there's there's certain pages in the book that are just you know, an implicit invitation to journal. So this question says, what would telling your friends about your abortion sound like? And then it's just a blank page. And so it was really an invitation to just process. Um, but I think there's a, just having to keep some a, a, a life-changing choice a secret is really hard to say the least. And I don't, and the caring secrets become such a burden. Um, because it's hiding a, a piece of who you are and it's an experience that this, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but having an abortion shaped me tremendously, but also birthed a beautiful ministry where I can be 10 toes down in the pulpit saying, yes, I had an abortion. No, I do not believe that it was a simple choice. I know God's with me and for me and that never changed. Um, and that's really powerful. And I think that's a message that not just folks inside the church need to hear, but outside as well, um, especially in this day and age where abortion as a healthcare choice is being stigmatized and being co-opted into a decision, a decision about morality, which I'm not on board with. Hmm. So I, I, I want to be able to help people heal. I want to also experience healing, more healing and more joy through my future family. Um, my brother's kids, keep me on my toes. My niece, she's five and she lost her first tooth 
And so my mom texted me. She's like, you got to call your brother. Ask him what, you know, tell him the story about Naomi losing her tooth. So b- before she goes to bed, she's like, daddy, um, I can't really go to sleep. How How is the tooth fairy going to put this money under my pillow? And he's like, just go to sleep as usual. He's like, but I don't want to miss her. He's like, she'll be there. Next morning, she wakes up. She's got some quarters under her pillows and she go downstairs and she goes, daddy, are you sure the tooth, the tooth fairy is real? And he's like, yeah. He's like, because... These are coins. She said, mommy has coins in her purse. <laughs> she said, I don't, he said, well, yeah, there's other, you know, other currencies, other countries that use coins that are actually a do- dollar. She goes, no, daddy, the tooth fairy, the tooth fairy deals in dollars. <laughs> and she's fine. <laughs> she is hilarious. I'm, so, I'm kind of with it. I'm kind of with it for that though. <laughs> Absolutely. She she knew something was up. She was like, I don't know about these quarters. Like I was looking for the five, maybe, you know. That's it. Um, I'm, I'm shaking down a tooth fair. I thought I was going to get a windfall. So yeah. So no, children before, they just bring so much joy. And so I'm excited to see kind of that that iteration as well. But um I'm also here for the journey to to motherhood, the journey of healing. Uh it's never a destination, but those are the things that I would hope and and also i think just that when you when we think about like legacy it was interesting so we were at the frederick Douglass thing and um that statement that line where it was like your evil remains but your your goodness like is interred with your bones Mm -hmm. but i don't want my goodness to be buried you know i want my goodness and the love that i can show to people to last and so that's really what I would hope is that when people maybe think about me when I'm gone, that like, oh, Ryan, she really knew how to love, love on people, um, even, even when it's difficult. Sometimes love is like, I, I, because I love you, I have to say this to you. And it, you might not want to hear it, might, might, might make you uncomfortable. But because I love you, I have to say that. And that's true in preaching. That's true in your personal life, professional life. But, you know, I think telling the truth is a loving and revolutionary act. I agree. And uh, I always tell people it starts with telling myself the truth first before I can tell anybody else a damn That's thing. It. So, well, I'm so glad that you got to come on and talk to me this morning. Uh, we have all summer together because I know I'll see you. The next year. We have a whole year. <laughs> a whole year before you go off to parts unknown and, uh, and do the thing that Ryan is called to do. Uh, I, as I say to people, I serve a God that calls and sings. So I know you serve with God that calls and sends that will call you or send you somewhere. So, so I, I'm, I'm delighted we had a chance to have this conversation. I look forward to many more conversations with you. Thank you, Babs. It's been a joy and I appreciate you so much. All right. I will see you in these streets. Don't you worry. Come by. I will. I will. <laughs> Come on by. All right, everybody. That's a Thursday. It was a good word and it was my joy to have a uh, my sorrow, Ryan Lindsay, here today to talk about her journey. So I'll be back tomorrow, Friday, in the Elm. Y'all be cool out there. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Paul. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Bye, Ryan. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>